The Rural Health Voice, Episode 14, Veterans Affairs. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Virginia has 725,000 veterans across the state, many of which live in our rural communities. Who speaks for them? Join me as I talk with Carlos Hopkins, Virginia's Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. Thank you. So tell me why Virginia needs a Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs. Isn't that covered by the U.S. Veterans Administration? It's actually not. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, the and, and let me start by saying we, we have an incredibly great working relationship with our federal partners, uh, with the federal VA. And the, the federal VA provides a number of programs and uh, services and resources for our veterans, but it's up to the states to execute and make sure we connect the veterans to those services and those programs. Uh, and as you may know, with here in Virginia, we have one of the largest percentages and numbers of veterans in the country. Uh, for a state with approximately 8.5 million citizens, uh, we have about 725,000 veterans across the state. So that puts us in the, the the top five of states in terms of how many veterans we have per population. And your office explores issues for veterans and transitioning service members, including employment, health care, and education needs of our veterans. Why those three specific issues? Do you see them as being intertwined? Uh, they are. Um, First of all, you want to make sure that you're addressing the healthcare needs of our veterans. Um, and you, you're talking about a population that has given so much to us as, as a nation and certainly as a commonwealth. And so you want to make sure that when they return from service that you do your part to take care of them as well. And often our veterans experience uh, health-related issues, sometimes service-connected issues, and so it's important that we take care of them when, they, when they're out of the service and, and pay them back for the service they've given us. But also with respect to transition services and education, when our veterans return from military service, obviously they've been employed in one capacity in service to our country for some period of time. Well, now it's difficult for some of them to make the transition from active duty military to civilian. And so our role is to help ease that transition. Uh, the Department of Defense, of course, has programs to assist, uh, but it really falls on the individual states as they become our citizens, our colleagues, our co-workers, our neighbors. So it's extremely important that we have in place a robust transition program to help our veterans make that, that important transition. And your office recently created the Southwest Virginia Veterans Coalition, why the focus on that specific region? Are you also doing that in other regions of the state? Yes. Yeah, so when I first became secretary in the fall of 17, one of the first things I did was to make sure that I got out to all of our benefits offices uh, to visit all of our, our colleagues around the state. What I heard, particularly from the offices in Southwest, is that while we provide a number of resources through our, our, our Veterans Resource Guide, a number of those resources aren't available to our folks in Southwest Virginia. 
And to address some of those those concerns, I thought it'd be important that I reach out one to our our state delegation. Um, I talked with Delegate Todd Peely, and I reached out to Senator Emmett Hanger. Uh, and other representatives within the Rural Caucus to say, hey, is there something like this that exists? Because in the Hampton Roads region, we have an organization called Harumpha, the Hampton Roads Military uh, Federal Facilities Alliance. And in Northern Virginia, we have the Northern Virginia Regional Alliance. And their aims are a little different in that they deal directly with our military installations and the communities around them. And certainly in Southwest, we don't have the same number of military installations, but we do have over 35,000 veterans. And there was no regional organization or regional coalition uh, to address those concerns from those veterans. And so if they weren't near a benefits office uh, or weren't connected to one of our DVS offices in some way, who was going to speak for those veterans? And so the idea was to bring together community leaders, folks from the region who knew where the resources were, uh, who understood what the needs were, and and really understood the communities, um, and leveraged those resources in service to our veterans. So that's what led to the idea of the Southwest Virginia Coalition. Now, in 2015, Virginia became the first state in the nation to functionally end veterans' homelessness. How did that come about? And were rural communities a particular challenge? Sure. So in 2015, we responded to essentially a challenge, uh, a mayor's challenge from the Veterans Administration. And the idea was to make sure that anyone who served our country had a place to live. You know, there's no reason, uh, especially not here in Virginia, for veterans not to have a place to stay. And what we did was gather a number of different agencies. Uh, we've got, obviously, the Department of Veterans Services. Uh, we've got our, our housing agencies, and we've got several other agencies, including those within our Department of Health and Human Resources, to come together and bring and together all those resources to help our veterans find homes, to partner with our external stakeholders, uh, with folks in the communities. And in doing that, what we've been able to do is any veteran who comes to us, who we learn about, who has a housing challenge, uh, we're able to get that veteran housed. But it's not just housing the veteran, because when when we're able to connect with that veteran, we can we can address not just their housing needs, but also any health-related needs, uh, any benefits-related needs. Many veterans haven't even applied for benefits. Um, if there are other transitional assistance-type needs, we can provide through either our Veterans Family Support Services or our benefits offices. We try to make sure that we address all of the concerns of that veteran in addition to the housing. And so what we've been able to do is, and, and I try to clarify with folks, Functionally ending veterans' homelessness doesn't mean you won't walk down the street and and not see a, a homeless veteran, unfortunately. But it means that when, when when they come to us or when they're brought to our attention, we do have the resources available to make sure we can get them off the street and get them housed. So anything in particular in rural areas that made that more troublesome? I, I know housing conditions can be tricky because there's not a lot of apartment complexes in our rural communities. No, you, you've, you've pointed it out. Um, it's the challenge of making sure that we have enough ho- housing uh, for the veterans brought to our attention. But some of the challenges aren't just with the housing, it's transportation. Um, it's having the veterans have the ability to get from point A to point B, getting them to their medical appointments, getting them to, to employment opportunities. 
So the housing, it's all a part of that same challenge. And we're trying to address all of that through initiatives like the Southwest Virginia Veterans Coalition. Uh, but the housing challenge, it's a similar, ch- it's a challenge in each region, but for different reasons. In, in Southwest, it's obviously we want to make sure that we have enough resources. In Northern Virginia, it's the cost, uh, same as in Tidewater area. And we're starting to see a rising cost in, in housing uh, as we go forward. So with considerable progress towards addressing homelessness, you're now looking at suicide among a veterans population. How are you addressing that? Yes. You know, suicide is unfortunately a a huge problem in this country, and certainly not just here in Virginia. Uh, We hear often from the Veterans uh, Veterans Affairs Administration, Veterans Administration or other organizations that we're looking at 20 veterans a day. Uh, 20 former service members a day committing suicide. Well, in Virginia, we know that between 2003 and 2016, over 3,000 of our veterans committed suicide. It's not just my secretariat that's engaged in this effort. You know, we have uh, particularly uh, Health and Human Resources Secretariat is, is, is heavily engaged in this field as well. How we're addressing it, uh, we've taken part and let me just let me back up. Even before we got involved in the recent mayor's challenges and governor's challenges, uh, the General Assembly had passed legislation that made the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services the lead agency to address suicide prevention statewide. In addition to that, the VA, working through SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, began the mayor's challenge of which Virginia became, the city of Richmond in particular, became one of seven cities around the nation to come together and begin several workshops to talk about how do we address the the suicide issue amongst veterans. Uh, From that, and because of the success of our participation in that challenge and developing initiatives to actually address the suicide issue, we became a part of the governor's challenge, uh, one of seven states to participate in that challenge. And that's still, that's still an ongoing initiative. But the, the intent is to bring together healthcare professionals, community leaders, uh, obviously various state agencies, to get to the root of you know, some of the causes and what are the resources available and where are the gaps so that we can close those gaps and provide the services necessary. You know, we talk a lot about care, connect, and community within our own vet, uh, Governor's Challenge team. Uh, and we want to make sure that that's what we're doing. We're caring for our veterans. We're making sure they get connected. We're making sure the community is engaged and involved um, and that the community is aware of what's out there. Uh, so a lot of it is about getting that word out, spreading the message, letting our veterans know that the resources are there um, and that whatever their challenges are, they don't have to go through it alone, that they're, they're going to be folks there to support them. I think a lot of our veterans find it going back to the discussion about transition. Making that transition is more difficult for some veterans than for others. And because of those challenges, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we have a team in place, that we have the infrastructure in place to help them with whatever it is that they're dealing with, whether they be employment issues, uh, housing issues, or healthcare related issues. And so the governor's challenge to prevent suicide looks at all of that because any of those could be a trigger um, to lead our veterans down that unfortunate dark path. Uh, a lot of the issues that we see 
we see across the Commonwealth in terms of the challenges that our veterans face. Because even within our rural communities, the veterans are returning home. So obviously, they've, in some cases, they've been on active duty, they've served in other parts of, of the world, um, and then they return home to the community. The challenges they face are often the same challenges they see in other parts of the Commonwealth. It can be exacerbated because of the challenges in finding employment when they return home in the rural communities. It can be uh, obviously aggravated by the lack of available housing in those communities and the distance to get to adequate health care in some cases. You know, when you go to the far southwest and you look for the nearest VA hospital, depending on where you are, you may be driving to North Carolina, Tennessee, or up to West Virginia. So uh, the region's geography can create challenges to our returning veterans that we may not see in other parts of the Commonwealth. Your department operates 31 benefits across the Commonwealth, including the newest one of the Pentagon. Why so many? Wouldn't it be more cost-effective to maybe centralize them in a few regions around the Commonwealth? One of the ideas behind that was to make sure that our veterans didn't have to drive an hour or an hour and a half or two hours to get the benefit support that they needed. We have, in fact, we have 32 offices now with two more on the way, uh, one serving the Oceana community and the other near Fort Belvoir. But when we establish new offices, it's based on a need coming from that community. And so we've, we've done the homework to say, hey, there are a number of veterans here seeking these particular services so that we can justify their request for the appropriation and to stand up the new office. And so that's why we've seen that growth from really less than 15 offices about six, six years ago to the 32 offices that we have now. Uh, we, have off, we have an office in Accomack, which is the only office we have on the Eastern Shore, all the way out to Big Stone Gap, south side to Danville, and of course up north to Northern Virginia and Fairfax, et cetera. But the idea is to make sure that we are touching veterans in whatever community in which they live. And, and there are still areas of Virginia where we don't have a benefits office, uh, but we're certainly willing to work with any of those communities to make sure that the information about the resources are available uh, for those communities as well. So similar question, I see mm -hmm. several agencies on your website that relate to the welfare of veterans, Department of Veteran Services, Virginia Veteran Family Support Program, Board of Veteran Services, Joint Leadership Council, Veteran Services Foundation. Why the need for all the different subsets? Sure. So let me talk a little through the secretariat. <laughs> um, our lead agency in dealing with our, our veterans is our Department of Veteran Services. Within the Department of Veterans Services, there are six service areas, and each of these service areas has a distinct duty or responsibility when it comes to serving our veterans. And so when you look at benefits, and, and we talk about the benefits service area, you know, often this is sort of, I like to say, the first point of contact. You know, when people think about veteran services, they immediately think federal VA and the benefits for service. Well. Our team of veteran service representatives work with the veterans to ensure that they get whatever benefits that they've earned through their military service. When we talk about the care centers, Virginia currently operates two veterans care centers. 
Uh, and we have two more being built, which will bring us to four state-run veterans care centers. And obviously, these are long-term centers that care for our veterans in most need. We also have three veteran cemeteries. And so, as you can tell, each of these service areas has a distinct responsibility, and the need is different. So, obviously, with respect to our cemeteries, we want to make sure that we honor our veterans in their final resting place as well. But we also have the War Memorial, uh, which is expanding. I, I don't know if you had the opportunity uh, to visit our War Memorial, but we used to say it was a big hole in the ground as we expanded. It's now been filled, <laughs> and the expansion to the shrine is is coming along very well, and, and we should have that grand opening later this year. But that's where we honor the service of our Virginians um, from wars and conflicts past, but we're also expanding it to provide more educational opportunities to talk more about the service of our members around the state. And then we have our education transition team, our VEAT program, uh, another incredibly important program as well, and as you mentioned, VVFS. And so our Virginia Veterans Family Support Team, along with VEAT, uh, education transition assistance kind of speaks for itself in the sense that that's what they are about making sure our veterans uh, are aware of the educational opportunities available to them, aware of the transition assistance programs that we have available to them. Uh, and our VVFS team, when we talk about PTSD, when we talk about housing, when we talk about uh, behavioral health initiatives, that's the, those fall under the responsibility of our VVFS folks. And, and they have connections with the community service boards around the state to make sure that they're addressing the health care needs of our veterans in addition to the housing needs and other, other needs that our veterans may have. So that's why you see the number of different services on the website, because each of, the, each of those service areas under DBS have a specific responsibility. But you'll also see the Veterans Services Foundation, uh, the Department of Military Affairs, which is our Air and Army National Guard, um, VSF, I'll touch on them very briefly. Uh, our Veterans Services Foundation, they are charged with raising the funds to support a lot of the services that DVS is engaged in. So when we talk about housing, you know, a lot of the funding to help us provide those housing services come from the VSF. Um, any of those, those programs, whether it be housing, whether it be behavioral health, we, go to the, we look to the VSF to, to help in, in some cases, provide additional funding that we did not get from the General Assembly or from other sources. And so all of these entities work together to give us a wonderful ecosystem to make sure that we're taking care of our veterans. And that's how they all operate. So we're having to, having to do fundraising to provide the services above and beyond what the taxpayers support. That's true. That's true. And that's a, a part of that is obviously – Everyone's looking to the same pot of money from the General Assembly. Um, and obviously, as we know, that pot is somewhat limited. So the General Assembly passed some years ago legislation to grant that authority to the VSF to raise the funds to support uh, Department of Veteran Services programs. Talk to me specifically about health care. What is your office doing to assure that our veterans can access the services that they need? So a lot of that, and I'll go back, we talk about VVSF, our Veterans Family Support Group. And let me give you an example. A veteran comes into our office. We have a team that consists of, in many of our offices, a veteran service rep, and in several of them, 
a, a member of v, our VVF, VVFS staff. They'll interview the veteran. They'll talk to them. They'll get a better understanding of the situation the veteran's in. Because of the relationships that we have around the state, we're able to connect that veteran with the appropriate healthcare professionals or to connect them to the appropriate federal VA resources to make sure that they get that health care. But our folks don't simply make a phone call or, or direct, give them directions to the facility. They will continue to follow up with them and the members of their family to make sure that they're receiving the treatment that, that they need to receive. And so it's a very hands-on process. Each week, and some weeks almost every day, I get a, a, a letter forwarded to me from our commissioner, John Newby, where a citizen has, has reached out and said, hey, you know what, this VSR, this VVFS member has been extremely helpful in making sure that I got treatment for PTSD symptoms or my exposure to Agent Orange or helping me get hearing aids, um, whatever the need may be. So our job, we serve as that conduit because the, the VA system is extremely complex. And without a person who's intimately familiar with that system, often our veterans may not receive the care that they deserve. Now, that's in addition to the direct acts, uh, the direct benefits we provide through our veterans care centers. Obviously, with those, you know, our veterans receive that treatment every single day from professionals. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, we go in and connect them with through the community service boards, through the various health care clinics, through the VA hospitals. And that's why that connection to those VA facilities here in Virginia is extremely important because we're the conduit for our Virginia veterans to those federal resources. Now, I know that more than half of the enrollees in the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs also qualify for Medicare for their prescriptions. Does that cause chaos in terms of making sure people have what they need, aren't maybe accidentally getting you know, medicines that conflict between what they're getting through VA and what they're getting through Medicare? How is your office dealing with all that? It, 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 it doesn't cause a conflict because of the way the VA system works in terms of the prescriptions and, and, and the, the prescription of various medications. So in, in terms of the confusion or the lack, I'll say the lack of confusion, uh, we haven't seen that as a particular conflict in terms of, you know, a veteran receiving treatment here and then getting a different treatment over here. What we try to do is, in, as, to the best of our ability, is ensure that the veteran knows exactly where they're going for what type of treatment. And so that when they show up at a clinic, at a facility, if they're working through with one of our folks, we've made those connections. Um, we have we have some access to their history. And so we can get the veteran to the place where they need to be to avoid just that type of confusion. Obviously, if a veteran is operating through this complex system without the assistance of one of our, uh, our, v- our VVFS members uh, or our VSRs, that can be a, more of a challenge. Um, but when they're working with our folks, we haven't seen that as a, as a potential conflict or concern. I was at an event recently that spoke to the need for cultural competency training for healthcare professionals working with veterans. Do you feel that such training is important? I I do believe it's important. And and 
particularly when you're talking about 700,000 veterans from all walks, all backgrounds. Um, our, obviously, our demographics are incredibly diverse. Um, for example, Virginia is one of the leading states in the nation in terms of the number of female veterans that we have and the unique needs that our female veterans have as opposed to their male counter- colleagues. Um, not just talking veterans, but when we talk about the number of military children, we have over 73,000 military-connected school-aged children in Virginia. So because of that incredibly diverse demographic within our veterans community, within our service member community, I think that cultural competence is, is important. Um, and, and I think it's always important when you're providing service to the public to understand how diverse that public is. Uh, we like to say we serve veterans. We don't serve any particular type of veteran, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine, Republican, Democrat, Independent. We just serve veterans. And so I think anything that allows us to do our job better, um, to be more responsive to the needs of our public is very important. What else should people know about the work of the Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs? I think the most important thing is to know that we are here for our veterans um, and to to stay engaged with us. We've gone through one of the things that I've tried to do the push to my team is to make sure we're getting the word out. You know, I've gone around the state and done and conducted a number of town halls. Uh, I reach out regularly to the members of our congressional delegation, our state legislature. But we're also reaching out to our, our localities more and more because we want to know what the, the concerns, what the issues, what the challenges are within our veterans community around the state so we can build the programs to address those concerns. Um, and, and I think we've been successful to this point in being responsive to the needs of our veterans, but our success is going to be a direct reflection of how connected we are to those communities, whether they know what's available to them. You know, in the, in the rural areas and the coalition, we're working on trying to increase broadband access. I just had a great conversation this morning uh, with Evan Feynman, who's the governor's point man on broadband access. Um, and we're talking about how we can in- improve that access in-, in our rural communities. We're talking about transportation. And I had a wonderful conversation with our disabled American veterans uh, a while back about the program they have with, with various hospital coordinators to give rods, free rods, uh, to to our veterans in rural areas to get to their hospital treatment. You know, we're, these are the types of initiatives we're trying to expand um, and launch to make sure that we're responsive. But we want to hear from the community. We want to know uh, where the concerns, where the challenges are. Um, and that's why we try to, you know, myself and my team try to stay on the road just to make sure we're hearing um, from folks what it is that they need so that we can be responsive to that. If people are concerned about a veteran and their family or in their community, what can they do? What actions can they take? Contact our Department of Veteran Services. Um, that's the quickest way to get the fastest response. Um, I encourage people that, yes, you can reach out to, your, to the federal VA and they will respond. But if the fastest response is going to come from our Department of Veteran Services and one of our Veterans Benefits Offices. Um, if, and, and literally, for those with access, it's a Google search, um, just Department of Veteran Services, Virginia, and it will give it to you. And all 32 offices are listed on the website. Um, but contacting us directly, and we can direct you to the nearest office. And that's 
the benefit of having that many offices. And whatever your question is, whatever service-connected issue you, you, you have, we can help you navigate through the, the Veterans Administration. Great. And we'll make sure we put a link to that office in our show notes. Absolutely. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? I would expand the transportation network yesterday. Um, the, we have a lot of folks who are really helpful because the that's the biggest problem is getting folks to their appointments. One of the challenges in, in the rural parts of the state with our veterans population is it's generally an older population. And when you're ta- and the second thing I would do in addition to expanding transportation is increasing the number of health facilities and not just the clinics, but the actual health, the actual hospitals. Now, I say that understanding the incredible cost to stand up, say, another Salem or another Hampton um, because of the en- en- enormous federal dollars that go into something like that. But I, anything that would limit the amount of time veterans have to wait for appointments, limit the distance they have to travel for those appointments, transportation and additional facilities would be the two things um, that I could do in answer to your question about one. <laughs> Hardest thing to do is get them there in the first place. Yes, exactly. All right, Secretary Hopkins, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Carlos Hopkins, Virginia Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs, encouraging you to contact the Virginia Department of Veterans Services if you want to help a veteran in your community. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, and you are a student in a health professions or policy program, consider joining the VRHA Board of Directors. VRHA will accept applications for student representatives to the board between now and May 5th. For details in the application form, visit vrha.org, select Board of Directors under the VRHA tab, and scroll to the bottom of the page. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.